Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. Thank you for joining in today with us. We're going to talk about the third mansion or the third dwelling place of the classic masterpiece, Interior Castle, written by the great doctor of prayer, St. Teresa of Avila. And this is continuing our series. So this would be part four. And I'd like to welcome again my co-host, who is helping me with this conversation, Teresa Rittenhouse. Welcome, Teresa. Good morning. I'm so glad you're joining in with us. You know, um, today as we talk about the Third Mansion, we are in the season of spring as we do this podcast today. And yet, I can't help but relate this to this third mansion that we're talking about with this new life and this opportunity to leap forward in faith um, for this new life in God. So seeing the signs of the the flowers and the trees, isn't it heartwarming and encouraging? My favorite time of year. (laughs) All right. Well, as always, we'd like to begin with prayer. And, um, We have a prayer here from the book that's by John Paul Thomas. I really like this book. It's fairly new. It's called The Interior Journey Toward God, Reflections from St. Teresa of Avila. So this comes from him. And Teresa, would you please lead us in this prayer? I would be happy to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Most holy Lord, you continuously call me deeper. And so often I am indifferent to that call. Please open my eyes to the ways that I presume I am holy enough and help me to see that my journey is far from over. Fill me with a deeper desire for you and for a longing to go further in my life of prayer. May I learn to pray well and be open to being drawn into a relationship of the deepest communion with you, my God, indwelling of the most holy trinity. I love you. I trust you. I surrender my life to you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that prayer really addresses one of the problems of the third dwelling place that many souls have, and that's that they think they're holy enough, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And therefore, they become settlers, um, as in being settled in this mansion. and sometimes becoming complacent and stagnant in their relationship to the Lord. So so what do you think the, the challenge is here? Well, um, the exemplary life. And you know, the one song that keeps coming to my mind is, should I stay or should I go? So, <laughs> you know, that's really good that just be keeps... subtle or be a pioneer and head out there you know because we we need to take risk and um we need to dive out into the deep which is the lord and surrender and trust so you you know you're talking about this exemplary life that is a great subtitle for this mansion but before we do that <clears throat> i wanted to go back And reflect on some of the subtitles for the first and second mansion. Because I think I forgot to do the subtitles for the second mansion (laughs) in our last podcast. We got to talking and we skipped right over that, I think. Anyway, as a review. Okay, so the first mansion or dwelling place. um, Some of the titles were like the beauty and dignity of the soul. 
um, sin and darkness, because Teresa of Avila talks a lot about that. Um, getting over the drawbridge, you know, all those snakes and reptiles are trying to hold you back. All yes. those bites, all those wounds um, toward awakening to love. So uh, that is, um, you know, an, an idea of what that first mansion to help remember what that first mansion or dwelling place is like. The second dwelling place, um, some of the sub- subtitles would be understanding desire because you're desiring to now answer the Lord's call because you hear him now. Another title would be like decision, discipline and effort because now you're you're making a commitment to go forward or perseverance on the right road. So you you are getting tempted to go back and yet you're going to make that commitment to persevere on this path going forward. And also another good subtitle for the second dwelling place is battleground. Because there's so much wanting to keep you, you know, the evil one, to keep you from going forward. Says, that's right. He doesn't want to release you and and let you see all the good things. <laughs> and actually, that second mansion, there seems to be more battles than in the first. Because as Teresa tells us, in the first mansion, you're, you're deaf and blind. But um, here, you do hear the Lord. So you you have that responsibility to answer. All right. So now let's go to this third mansion, uh, this third dwelling place. Um, and you mentioned the exemplary life. Now, why would we call it the exemplary life? You know, you're doing what you're supposed to. You're you're dressing modestly. You're watching your language. Um you're you're going to church, you're saying your prayers. Uh you're not um you know if you have a home, your home is well well ordered. You're not um excessive. So it's like you pull back a little. Um you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're being modest. That's a pretty good life. Yeah, you know. This, this is where there's most- nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and this is where most good Catholics, good Christians reside, is in this third mansion. So they 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 do live an exemplary life. And yet, um, another subtitle for this is spiritual adolescence. What would you yes. say about that? <laughs> <laughs> this is just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, we we were a baby, then a toddler, and now we're an adolescent in this third dwelling place. So there's so much more because in the human life, we know uh, to grow into adulthood and then to uh, grandparenthood. <laughs> there's yeah. so much more. All right. And then one of my favorite subtitles for this third dwelling place is the Great Divide pioneers or settlers because people get settled here and they're not understanding how God is purifying the soul and challenging them to move forward so they can become a settler being comfortable in what they know to be a pioneer though means to jump you know with confidence with faith Jump into like like Saint Therese, a little flower. You're gonna leap in confidence. (laughs) Yes. So um, that way you're you're a pioneer. Um, Another um, subtitle for this would be um, dryness in prayer. So why would that be applicable here? 
Well, you know, in the very beginning, you're you're feeling good when you're saying your prayers. You're feeling good. Um, you're starting to hear God in 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 everything around you. You know, good people, good sermons, good books, uh, in nature, uh, through paintings, through songs. It's like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they dedicate God, lots of time to prayer, right? It, Exactly. God is everywhere. I'm I'm seeing things now. However, now it's going to start to get a little hard. You know, we're developing virtues. We're developing our faith, our belief. He's making us stronger. He's getting those roots to get them in deeper. You know, we don't want to be the little weeds that when the wind comes or the rain comes, we just pop right out of the ground. (laughs) And I like to think yeah. that uh, God weans us from the milk and cookies to the meat and potatoes. <laughs> exactly. And, and we'll, exactly. Talk more. we'll talk some more about this dryness because uh, that's a, a big, big experience that um, people don't understand what's happening here. And so we'll talk about that some more. Um, another one is um, be not disturbed. God alone suffices. And that reminds me of St. Teresa's book. Mark, be not disturbed. God alone suffices. So people in this mansion, you know, they've been living these upright lives. They're trying to do the right thing. And they think they've arrived at holiness because they don't know what it is to grow in a more perfect virtue, a heroic virtue, you know, that that makes sense. Right. Well, and, you know, we grow step by step, just as children, just as babies, where we learn to crawl first and then walk. So there's going to be more trials. There's going to be more things happening. We, you know, we're going to get shaked. We're going to be disturbed. And she's saying, don't let that bother you. He's building us up. You know, he's going to be there. He, he God it will be with us through it all. And all along, he he wants to stretch the capacity of our soul. He wants to purify the soul. And that comes through tests and trials. So um, we need to think um, that as these come, that God permits them or purposely plans them, either way, permitting or planning for our benefit. And, and that's having a great confidence in God. Now, I Absolutely. want us to take note before we go forward. <clears throat> St. Teresa was thought to be in this third dwelling place for 10 years. Can you comment on that a little bit for us? Well, you know, 10 years, you there's that stay or go. She was being pulled. She She's being, as a young girl, she was um, called to be a saint. And and wanted to do so much for the, for the Lord, but then you know, growing up as a teenager, growing up as a young woman, um, going into the convent, she's still she's still an adolescent, you know. And it it took a while for her. This was a battleground. She had some attachment to some relationships, and of course. In the convent, now she was 20 years old or so when she entered the convent, and they had a habit of pulling Teresa into the 
the visitor's room because <laughs> all the people <laughs> wanted to visit with Teresa because she was such a lively character and entertaining to talk with. And of course, that that didn't help her to grow in this virtuous life. And um, yet she really enjoyed them. You know, she was a very social person. Very social. Yes. And it was, you know, her father died like in 1543 when she was 30 years old. So 10 years after being in the convent. And then it took another 10 years of being in this third mansion until her big conversion, which happened in 1554, before this statue of the H.A. Homo. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, Behold the man. It was a statue uh, of the head of the wounded Christ. All right. And that was a big point of conversion for her. All of a sudden, seeing that wounded head really pierced her heart and soul. And so uh, that that was a, a point of, you know, now I'm jumping in to be the pioneer and she goes forward quickly. Um, so it was almost 20 years of being in the convent before she enters the fourth mansion. Now, we got to remember that. Um, People are generally in one dwelling place, right? You, you know, we got a suite of rooms, lots of lots of rooms in this suite or this dwelling place. And yet we're not limited. God may allow us to go um, up or down to higher mansions or lower mansions, depending on what we need. You know, we have our, our spiritual development, our physical development, our emotional development and, and so many areas of ways that we grow. So. Even though we're in a main area, we may uh, visit other rooms and other mansions, but we're primarily, you, you think of it being in this stage. So that's important for us to remember. Absolutely. And, um, the other thing I wanted to point out before we um, get into the description of a, of the third dwelling place is um, that these first three mansions um are what John of the Cross, who is our one of our great discussed Carmelite uh, saints um, and a doctor of the church, he would refer to these first three mansions as the purgative stage or the, the stage for beginners, which you were talking about, the adolescents, so, you know, the baby, the toddler, the adolescent. Okay, and it's an ascetical time with a lot of focus on what the soul can do. Um, to grow in living the Christian virtues and denying the self. And it's a very active stage, but it does become more and more passive in the sense that the soul learns to surrender to God more so that God can act more. He's waiting for us all along, you know, so it's how we're responding to God. Now, John of the Cross then would talk about the illuminative or proficient stage, and that's usually associated with the fourth mansion. Now, some people will put it third, fourth, fifth. Some will put it fourth, fifth. I tend to think the fourth is the really big transition point. And so, you know, we'll be talking about that in our next podcast. But um, so I, I like to, to zero in on the fourth mansion uh, because there's so much change that occurs there. It's a pivot point. And then yeah. John Cross would call the fifth through the seventh mansions. And that's that's how far Teresa of Avila goes is up to the seventh dwelling place. Uh, he would call that the unitive 
or the perfect stage. And so I think it's important for us to introduce and try to remember the progress of the soul. And so many people here in that third mansion think that they've arrived when really they're still in the first phase, the purgative stage. So the illuminative stage, you know, there's more light, you know, illumination, more light, so more growth. And then the unitive is that union with God. So, um, you know, in this stage of uh, purgation, we're still letting go. We we're learning to let go and realizing, you know, our desires. And of course, the world around us tells us that we need so many things. You know, our wants and our desires are are so huge. And it's like, no, we're learning to pare things down to, to let things go. And remember, God is sufficient in all. So, yes, it's a lot of growth here in these first three mansions. And we're glad to be here. This and Teresa tells us if you get to this point, you you will probably make it to all the others if if you keep persevering, right? And you stay yeah. humble. So that's Absolutely. encouraging. So she's she's not saying you're stuck here forever, but we're gonna talk um later on about how we get stuck. Okay. So let's start though, if you wouldn't mind giving us a description of the third mansion. Now this comes from um the book, The Interior Castle, and we're using the study edition put out by ICS Publications. You can find them at icspublications.org. And this is how, in Teresa's words, um, how she describes souls here in this third dwelling place. Would you mind reading that for us? I, I would love to. I believe that through the goodness of God, there are many of these souls in the world. They long not to offend his majesty, even guarding themselves against venial sins. They are fond of doing good penance, setting aside periods of recollection. They spend their time while practicing works of charity toward their neighbors and are very balanced in their use of speech, dress, and in the governing of their households for those who have them. Certainly, this is a state to be desired. And in my opinion, there is no reason why entrance into the final dwelling place should be denied these souls, nor will the Lord deny them this interest if they desire it. For such a desire is an excellent way to prepare oneself so that every favor may be granted. Great. Well, let's, you know, let's talk about this description. First, a lot of people would think that this is a saintly person, um, a holy person, and and they have a, a you know, a right to be thinking that. Um, but here's where our Teresa Vavala uh, is going to teach us so that we know that there's so much more. And it's so encouraging that she thinks that there are many of these souls in the third dwelling place in the world. Um, I wonder if she would think that today, though. <laughs> I don't know. Well, now, we have to keep in mind, media is going to be, you know, uh showing us what they want to show us. So if we trust media and TV, oh my goodness, the world is on fire, which there are some places that really truly need help and prayers. Um, But, you know, the good news is there's people like us that are wanting to do good, that are doing good in the world. 
you know, that's not fun to see on TV. Good people doing good things. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> you don't so, often get the feel good stories. <laughs> yes. So we need to keep encouraged. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't totally trust what you see in media. <laughs> Very good point. Okay. And in the description, she says that these souls guard against venial sins, longing not to offend God. So they've already dealt with mortal sins in the first and second mansion. That that means the, the sins that are very serious and mortal, meaning deathly, right? Leading to yes. death, right? Yes. Now they're guarding against venial sins. So, you know, it, for whoever's listening, you might be asking yourself, are, are you working on that? And, um, then you know there's always degrees of of um the the offenses or the faults or the failures and you know is this you know we we need to dig deep to to the roots here but um uh, we need to guard against venial sins that's very important um and then she talks about doing penance so in what sense are they doing penance and we're we happen to be in the season of Lent, so this is perfect, right? As we record Absolutely. this. Absolutely. You know, denying yourself both bodily and and uh and doing good things spiritually, um, mortifying ourselves. This is a perfect season uh to be doing this. And we um, have to be sure that we're being detached from some of the spiritual goods, like feeling good in prayer. That would be an apartment example here that we should just go to prayer and not measure it by how good it feels to to pray. Um, we should be committed to prayer. So in that sense, it's it's penitential that we are going to go to prayer regardless. We're not going to be attached to the feelings. So, yes. and then she talks about um, setting aside periods of recollection now recollection is a type of prayer that is focused on in this mansion we mentioned it in the second mansion but we didn't really go into detail Teresa didn't go into detail on it um, but here um, she she's bringing it up again I think in the way of perfection she talks about it a lot more and in fact um, I pulled up uh, in the study edition of the Teresa's work, The Way of Perfection, in the glossary of the study edition, there there is defined what is recollection. So, Teresa, would you mind um, reading for us what this is so that we have a good understanding of what the prayer of recollection is? Well, it says a method of prayer in which the soul collects its faculties and enters within it. To be with its God. St. Augustine sought him in many places, but ultimately found within himself. This recollection is not something supernatural, but something we can achieve ourselves with the help of God. All you need to do is go into solitude and look at him within yourself, or be present to the one with whom you speak in prayer, or it can be practiced briefly in the midst of occupations. We must get used to saying a vocal prayer with this recollection, being aware that we are with him, of what we were asking him, of his willingness to give to us, of how eagerly he remains with us. Meditation may also be carried out in this recollection. There are greater and lesser degrees of this recollection. 
The divine master will come more quickly to teach the soul in this recollection and give it the prayer of quiet than he would through any other method it might use. Well, that is a very thorough definition there, and it's important. So um, when we talk about recollection in the third mansion, we're talking about an acquired recollection um, as opposed to a passive one. This one's active, acquired, things that we can do. We can shut our eyes. We can get away from the noise around us or get into a quiet place, shut our eyes, try to get our mind off of, you know, what we got to do today or what we're worried about. Or, or, you know, we might even take those to prayer and then get more and more quiet within so that we can just be with our Lord. And that will lead to other kinds of prayer, like effective prayer or um, prayer of simplicity or or simple gaze. Um, so <clears throat> it's important to have this understanding of recollection. So this is what we can do of ourselves. Now, when we talk about the fourth mansion, we'll get into infused recollection, which leads to that prayer of quiet that was mentioned. So all of those things that you read were actually quotes that were pulled from St. Teresa of Avila. So uh, we're hearing from her herself with her own experience because you remember when she wrote this interior castle she was already in the seventh mansion for many years and so she is reflecting back and it's very helpful for us uh, hearing from somebody who has great experience of all of this well let's continue with the commentary on the description of souls in the third dwelling place let's talk about works of charity because that's something that people in the third dwelling place ha- uh, have begun to do. It's serving in their parishes, uh, the communities like soup kitchens. They're catechists. You know, they're helping to teach others. Um, they're doing volunteer work, pro-life campaigns, all kinds of good things um, uh, that spread God's love and, and, and charity for others. You know, they're looking outside of themselves. So they are looking to be involved and to share their gifts. And they're doing this more than they did previously. Not to say that they didn't previously do some of these things. It's just that uh, now it's um, a fullness, right? And and we don't stop serving the Lord because um, we show our love for God by how well we love our neighbor. And our exactly. love is by deeds. So uh, from now on, we, we always, uh, the result of this love is good fruit and good works. And so. that's how we see that we're growing because we're, we're wanting to, when you have love, it's active. You know, it's not stagnant. When you love, you want, you're wanting to give it out to others to reflect God's love. He's pouring it in on us. We want to pour it in on others. And it's the nature of love to sacrifice self or your own desires, what you want to do to serve the other. And that's really important. And, and that's how God works, too. <laughs> exactly. Good for us. All right. So now let's turn to which part of the Our Father prayer relates to this third dwelling place. Now, the first dwelling place was deliver us from evil. And that's because souls in this stage are, you know, pretty vulnerable and weak and they need deliverance from the evils of the culture around them and their own selfish 
desires. Um, they need uh, the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints. The second dwelling place we related to in the Our Father prayer, uh, the petition, lead us not into temptation. And that's because the battles are strong here. Um, Satan wants to pull these souls back because he sees they're making progress. And he, if he can get them at the beginning, he's got them much easier than if they progress further down the road, which makes it harder on them. So they have a special and urgent need for protection against these temptations. And um, having those near occasions of sin are always very serious and, and have to be watched out for and fought against. And so they need uh, God's help, his mercy and perseverance is so necessary here to help fight these battles. So now we get to this third dwelling place today. So which part of the Our Father prayer relates to this third dwelling place? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay, can you tell us about that? Wow. These souls have come such a long way. They've put forth lots of effort. Then why is the forgiveness emphasized here? As the darkness of sin is cleared from their soul and their lives, the clarity of their spiritual vision is revealing deeper roots of sin. Some choose to avoid looking at these deep issues in themselves. And although they may indeed point out the faults of others, which we have to be careful of, they become the settlers. You know, the pioneers are the ones who want to keep journeying forward by starting to deal with those root sins in their lives, responding favorably to God's call. And in this clear picture, some become more judgmental and may hold deep wounds and grudges. While the pioneers, they become more humble. They grow in their humility and become more deeply aware of their own faults, their own failings, and the greater need of God and his forgiveness. So we're asking his forgiveness and we're trying harder to forgive others. And that is a great sign of humility by asking for forgiveness and forgiving others. You know, there was a situation that came up to me not long ago. It's a very serious situation, and it changed um, a good thing in my life. And so it was it was a challenge at the first thought, you know. Um, you know, my first thought was, I will be done, you know. And, and then the temptations come in, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, Jesus, it's going to be hard. And why we do this? And, you know, I don't understand. And. And yet, you know, my my husband often says, trust God's plan. His plan is perfect. You know, and I'm I'm saying that and saying that, you know, and, and it's helping me to get to more peaceful state again because I, I was at peace. And then I got I allowed myself to be tempted and I became yeah. agitated. And so I, I recognized I lost my peace. And so, you know, he's saying that. So, OK, OK, you know, let go, let God, you know, like you said earlier. And then. It came on me this, oh, what a great gift I have. I can forgive this person, this situation. And, you know, so I'm thinking that I have this to offer the Lord because by forgiving, I've given myself peace because otherwise I'd stay agitated. What good would that be? And I've also, you know, been condemning them, you know. And so, 
you know, by really offering this gift to the Lord, I felt the grace come right away. As soon as I said, we have this great opportunity to forgive. So I forgive. I choose to forgive. Even though the circumstances weren't going to change, make it any better, um, I choose to forgive. And so that's so important. Um, and of course, all through our life, um, we'll have opportunities to forgive. Oh, absolutely. And it is our choice. You know, do we stay stuck or do we move forward? Yeah. And that goes to the next part here is what are some of the rooms and types of people who might be found getting stuck in the third dwelling place? So now I came up with a lot of descriptive titles. So maybe you and I can go back and forth on a few of these. But I took these from or most of them. Couple of them uh, I created on my own, but most of them, <laughs> best ones, come from a, a wonderful book called From Ash to Fire, an Odyssey in Prayer. And it's by Carolyn Humphreys, who is an also a secular order discalced Carmelite. And she gives St. Teresa's interior castle a modern understanding that is well worth the read. So anyone who is studying interior castle or it's your second or third or fourth time through, you might want to pull this book up as an accompaniment because the way she expanded um, uh, upon the um, mansions was really wonderful and and, and has been a, a, a staple in my study of the interior castle for many, many years. So um, now I know these are very kind of negative titles. <laughs> so <laughs> we're trying to point out ways people get stuck here. So that's why we're hearing, hearing some negative titles. So just be aware. All right. There are really, you know, pioneers that want to go for it, but we're, we're talking about the ones that get stuck. So first of all, we have the palace of perfect persons so they're they're so spiritually self-centered they again they think they've arrived they don't know what else to do god bless them and you know thank god for saint Teresa vava giving us this interior castle because she she helps us understand and there's other saints that have given us um help in trying to understand this um, journey of growth in prayer, growth in our relationship with God. But the interior castle, of course, is a masterpiece of it. So this palace of perfect persons, at least it appears to be that way. And then um, another one would be courtyards of complacency. Well, you know, they've they've done this routine. They've been doing all these good things. They they keep with the schedule they've kind of fallen into this mediocrity of routine and and then the the unfortunate thing is because they're so familiar with these routines that they've they've learned to trust and rely on their own strengths more than yeah. on god and that Absolutely. is going to hold them back yeah so um what, what i love this one okay what? pillars of the parish oh my goodness and we know people that are pillars of the parish maybe we are one mm. you know we're content in our business we're involved in every aspect of the parish life but you know what it can be unbalanced instead of doing for god rather than being balanced and being with god right. you know 
active, active. I'm, I'm doing this for God rather than having time in prayer to be with him, which is more important um, in order to be doing his work rather than your own work. Absolutely. It, you know, it appears good, but if it's unbalanced, it is not good. So we, this is that self-knowledge we're always talking about. Right. You know, we have to be circumspect and look at what we're doing things. Are we doing it in the right, in the right, you know, in the right reasons, the will of God or our own wills? Right. And a lot of people do get caught up in there. And so another one is this merry-go-round of predictability, you know, <laughs> the, you know, well-scheduled routines, uh, give them a false sense of comfort. You know, they're so used to this routine. They don't take risks. There's no great leaps of faith here. They go round and round and round. And, you know, this is where souls get tired and they think this is it. And, you know, I think a lot of them um, can um, just uh, get overwhelmed with the sameness that they, um, uh, the word is escaping my mind here, but it's like they get, they, they've done so much. They finally just had enough. They, they, and, it, and that's actually can be a very good point that they get, get off of this merry-go-round. Yes, exactly. Um, they're not taking that leap of faith. You know, they're just getting stuck. Exactly. Right. I, I, and I love this next one, oracles of wisdom, lords of the manor, <laughs> you know, they're specialists on every religious topic. Uh, they're more concerned about their own spiritual images than becoming in God's image. You know, once again, we get, we kind of get stuck. We're our own worst enemies in some of this. Yeah. You, sometimes it's like, you know, I need to do this so that, you know, I'll, um, meet other people's expectations um, so that, you know, they see me as a virtuous or, or a holy person. And so the the focus is now perverted instead of being on God and thinking about what he wants. Now it is on pleasing the people around you or being able to answer everybody's questions. So you look yes. good. No, yes. Being, being the bright kid on the block. Yes. Right. <laughs> Well, now the next two um, are the weeping willows and the worry words, right? <laughs> oh, boy. The weeping willows are the one who would complain. So their problems seem to be so great, even if it's a minor problem, seems to be so big that they they even they're talking about it so much, blow it up so much that they um, block out what other people are saying. And so it becomes very self-absorbed that these yeah, are yeah. the biggest problems in the world. And um, so it really helps to know that, you know, there's other people with bigger problems than you. <laughs> perspective here, you know, things can be better for some and worse for some. And you're usually in the middle, usually, you know. Um, and then the worry warts, you know, it's it's. I remember reading this. Uh, um, I get these little excerpts from St. Faustina's. Um, diary, which I just love. And it was talking about when you are showing um, fear, you're showing a lack of trust in God's mercy. And I was like, oh, yeah. So, you know, now it's like when I hear the word fear go across 
my brain waves, you know? Yes. Like, okay, trust God, trust in his mercy. Lord have mercy on me, you know? Try to turn it to God um, instead of letting myself get tempted more and more and fall into greater worries and more fears. And that's the roots. You know, aren't we aren't we going for the roots of the problem, not not just the surface, you know, what appears to be yeah, on the surface. Yeah, a lot of people they get very anxious about their own security. And yes, it, you know, like people are t- talking now, you know, we might be facing a big um recession, depression. And of course a, a lot of the older people hear stories about their grandparents going through the uh, depression and what it was like. And and so it it brings up uh, sentiments of fear. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot of preppers. And yeah, we need we need to do some preparing. But, you know, in within reason, the the problem is that people are depending so much on themselves that they're forgetting that, you know, God gave water to the people that he took the on the great exodus out of Egypt. Let them into the desert. He gave them water. He gave them meat. He gave them manna. He gave them what they needed. And exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so much of this interior castle, I just began thinking about this more and more, uh, relates to this journey from the desert. I mean, if you think of of um, the first mansion being, you know, the people enslaved in Egypt, just getting news about, you know, efforts to go out. And then the second mansion, you know, there, there are the 10 plagues going on. And so they're, they're they're making these battles and they're having to make some action. And then the third, okay, now we're going out to the desert. Oh oh boy, but we're going to be so thirsty that by the fourth mansion, we need water of the living, the living water of the, the prayer that God infuses into the soul. So, you know, I just kept thinking about that and I was like, Ooh, wow. That's really insightful. Thank you, God, for that. That is insightful. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what are some of the uh, other types of people that we might find here? Bargain bin grace grabbers. I love that one. (laughs) They offer much to God, hoping it will cause him to grant them specific things. So it's like they're trying to earn God's gifts, bribe him for gifts. If I do this, I'll get that. You know, that's oh my gosh, that's so wrong. <laughs> and you know, I I remember thinking of this grace grabbing. You know, um, you hear about going on pilgrimages, going to these places, going to this shrine, going to that healing service, going to that priest. You know, and, and yes, those are avenues of grace that we may receive, but it should be the emphasis on God, not on just going after his gifts. I'm going to go there because I'm going to be favored by the Lord there. Yes. And do you not believe God can favor you right where you're at? <laughs> Absolutely. He- you know, and thank and thankfully for those pilgrimages, those those holy sites, the 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 relics, the the blessings, those graces, those are wonderful gifts. But you know, if we're in a place that we can't receive those, we thank the blessings that others are receiving, and we will still, that builds our own faith, our own thankfulness, and our own trust in God that we will be blessed when he's ready in his time. He hasn't closed his eyes to us. He hasn't looked away. 
Um, it's always shining on us, right? <laughs> absolutely. So we don't need to be looking for him at all these other places. He is there. But he's right in us. He's with us. <laughs> right. So the, the point here is, I'm not trying to say don't do those things. I'm just saying those are good things. We want to do all those things. Absolutely. But not be attached to thinking that that is the only way that grace is going to come. Grace can come at any moment, at any time. And the thing is, is are we preparing our souls to be well disposed to receive grace at any time, at any place, according to exactly. God's will, like you said? All right. So um, we've got the comfy couch. Um, <laughs> how many couch potatoes are we knowing <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have spiritual couch potatoes <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they're getting so comfortable on that couch oh my goodness no drive no desire they don't want to rock the boat they're avoiding deep issues they're avoiding self-knowledge you know I mean, I, I remember having a, a conversation. I was in line for confession one day and, and a, a, an older person came up behind me and he, he was kind of frustrated. And, and I don't like to be talking in line because I'm thinking about <laughs> the confession coming up, right? Yeah. This, he, he insisted on talking to me. So I'm trying to be polite. And he's saying, I don't know why I even come to confession. I'm, I'm a good person. I don't do anything wrong. I'm coming to mass every week. Da 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 da. I do this. I do this. And I'm like, oh, you don't know <laughs> so much more. But, you know, you can't. How could I, you know, I couldn't really tell him all about the interior castle in that moment. But I did pray for him. And um, but I, it, it struck me that here was a soul that was so comfortable and 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 also unknowledgeable, thinking that he's arrived, you know, and yet there was so much more. So, you know, just pray and hope that, you know, he, he did get some insight into how we need to go deeper. Well, and thank goodness he was going to confession. He yes. could have stayed on that couch in his home. Yeah. So, he I remember saying, you know, yeah, I remember telling him, well, confession's always really good for us, you know, <laughs> be strengthened by the graces that come. So, Absolutely. Um, all right. Um, and then one more description here is the pedestal dwellers. What do you think about those? Oh, my goodness. They see themselves as clothed in this exclusiveness. You know, um, they place themselves above others. Isn't this like, well, I, I'm at least not doing what they're doing. And aren't yeah. we, you know, um, they should be doing what we're doing. And it's like, oh my goodness, we and cannot I, keep up with the Joneses. And, and we just need to be focused on ourselves at this point. You know, this is once again, we can see others' faults and others' weaknesses. And it's like, no, that, that big old, a plank in our eye. <laughs> we're we're not seeing where we need to go first. <laughs> and you know, I have to caution uh, for those that are in third orders or special communities, religious communities like the secular order of discalced Carmelites. You know, once you get into the Carmelites, do you think I'm a Carmelite? I'm holier than you. You know that 
we have to guard against that. That is a, an element of pride that is going to make us fall back instead of. Oh, going absolutely. You know, in a heartbeat, where's that humility that that we need to learn? All right. So in general, this mansion, I, I like to refer to it as the Great Divide, whether you're a pioneer or settler. So, Teresa, would you mind talking to us all about what kind of souls are settlers? When we've talked, we've been referring to that, but let's put it all together and then I'll talk about um, how they are pioneers. OK, so if you would carry us through the settler phase. Well, these settlers, you know, they're staying in the third dwelling place. They think they've come in, you know, as far as they can go. Um, the place is a little more peaceful than that first dwelling place, you know, of of being pulled into the world in the battleground. The rooms are quieter. Um, there's not much required of them here. You know, they're uh, they're doing good things. Um, things are kind of uh, black and white. Uh, they, they think they've cut off enough, you know, uh, let things go. Um, their emphasis is on law and order. They they have clear-cut rules of right and wrong. Um, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're really getting comfortable here. Uh, these souls like this stability. Um, they're liking this security and and that's what God wants, you know, to be secure in him. Um, but they, get more, they get too secure. They're like a lump on the log. I remember there's a section on Teresa. Why would you take this long path to get here when you could do it within a week? <laughs> Why exactly. would you take it here? <laughs> Eight days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, to them, God is more like a sheriff to be obeyed. As souls here can be very legalistic, even preoccupied, um, you know, with the details of the law. Um, everything here is run on a schedule. You know, they're they're getting very comfortable. They're going to church. They're doing their devotions. Um, they're doing their their prayer time. You know, they they don't even appreciate the disruptions. They like these schedules. Um, their motto is safety first. Always, uh, they kind of fearing outsiders. Are these outsiders going to pull them back out in the world? You know, they're not really stretching out and and being charitable yet. They're learning to, um, but you know that needs worked on. They're generous. They they are giving to the church. Um, it's a way of growing their heavenly bank account, though. You know, we have to be careful with that. You know, are you giving in the right way? This love, they are learning to love. They are learning to do good things. But it hasn't reached that point of being overwhelming, you know, where it's just brimming. Um, or to, or to, to overwhelm the reason, you know. So it, it, Teresa's talking about love. Their love has not reached the point of overwhelming the reason. Uh, um, in other words, the reasoning faculty of their soul is um, keeping them in this place so that there's no disruption. Um, yes. But love will go beyond like, you know, Jesus went to the cross and was crucified. So that is beyond reason, right? It doesn't. Absolutely. 
Okay. All right. So let's let's go on to what the pioneers are. Um, these are their souls, and of course, one will enter into the third mansion and might be become a a settler and then change into a pioneer, right? <laughs> because yes. we do want to move forward. And so the pioneers are the ones that are going to move forward the fastest. And there was more settlers in the third dwelling place than there are pioneers. So to try to get, it's like trying to get a, somebody to move, get out of their lethargy. Get, well, get. And shouldn't we, when we see people, maybe help them you know, give them encouragement. So when we see others uh, that are in this stage to be aware and, and maybe give them encouragement, help them, um, you know, by our examples, maybe inspire them to, to get out of that complacency, you know, right. become pioneers. <laughs> Especially when you have an understanding, um, you know, of the interior castle, you, you understand these mansions. and so. Having that knowledge uh, and and all our own self knowledge, not to say that we're higher or better than anyone else, but having an understanding of this uh, journey of prayer and this progression of prayer, you know, to be able to share that with others that there is more than what you have now as a third mansion, a third dwelling place soul. There is more, and so I think now that we're being educated with you know what Teresa has taught us about this growth that's necessary to come into this union with the Lord. In other words, how to become a saint, right? (laughs) 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 You know, it's important for us to share that. And so that's why I'm so happy, Teresa, that you're joining me today um, in sharing this information about the interior castle and how we can apply it to our lives today. It's very important. So here we are. Pioneers are the ones who are, are now ready to go forward. And so now um, the religion is not based on, you know, following the rules and doing this and doing that, which are all good things. All right. But not being attached to that. But but now it's based on love. All right. On God. Um, these are the doers. They're the innovators, the risk takers, the go getters. Right. They're ready to meet some challenges and their trust in God has developed to such a point that they're willing to be led through the valley of tears, knowing that he is carrying them. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) They see life as an adventure. Um, They love talking about God and his love and what they're what he's doing in their lives. The focus is on God, not on self, whereas a a settler can be talking about, well, look what I did for the Lord, and I did this for the Lord, and it's important to do this. And so these are good things to do, but the the focus has to be reoriented to be on God, to please God, to trust in God. So the pioneers, um, they love to explore God's creation, right? The, and I think a lot of the settlers do too, but uh, I think the pioneers uh, getting out there and walking in nature just kind of is more expressive of this pioneer spirit to, uh, you know, sometimes when you take a hike out there, you you have a new adventure. <laughs> I remember going Absolutely. up a mountain and getting lost on the top of this mountain. It was like, oh my gosh, it was getting dark. Oh, it was, a, it was an adventure, all right, but God took care of us, right? We prayed, <laughs> God took care of us. We got back. 
<laughs> right before dark. Um, but anyway, so these pioneers, they don't get caught up in their achievements, what they're doing. They don't get stuck on that. They see God as their companion on the journey, not some distant, far away God. He's with them, carrying them. These these souls thrive on challenges and adventure. And this is a good thing to think about throughout the rest of the mansions, right? Uh, they work hard. They live hard. They play hard. They pray hard. Each day is this adventure into the unknown. And they are focused on deepening their capacity to love and to receive love. because. Um, like I said earlier, we're going from a more active stage of prayer. This third mansion is going to lead us now into the fourth, where's that transition into more of a passive, receptive way of, of growing in God and in his love. And these pioneers make leaps of faith, of faith and trust in the Lord with confidence, um, conquering their self-love and their egos more and more. So now St. Teresa, she gives us an example of the rich man found in the gospel. Uh, this was from Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. Um, I don't have that in front of me, but um, I think most people will remember about this young rich man. So, Teresa, what, what what's the problem here? What was lacking with this rich man? Well, he lacked generosity having too great an attachment to his own will, to his own ideas, um, to materialism. And in short, he was still a spiritual adolescent. You know, Jesus was right there, right in front of him. He was, he was talking to him, listening to him. Oh, but he, you know, he, he just didn't want let go. He just didn't let go of what he had. Because God was telling him, go and sell your possessions, uh, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. And But he had a lot of stuff, and so oh. he was way sad. So, you know, he is attached to something. Yes, very attached to the worldly. Uh, you know, so what's the remedy then? What does Teresa tell us to do? I love this because she says it all throughout the book. Humility, humility, humility. You know, she, she tells us that um, the lack of humility shows our lack of self-knowledge. In fact, there's a quote here, if you wouldn't mind reading it for us, that, that she talks about this young man and um, will help give us some more insight into this situation. She says, let the Lord prove us. For he knows well how to do this, even though we often don't want to understand it. If, like the young man in the gospel, we turn our backs and go away sad, when the Lord tells us what we must do to be perfect, what do you want his majesty to do? For he must give the reward in conformity with the love we have for him. And this love must be proved by deeds. And don't think he needs our works. He needs the determination of our wills. In other words, love has to be proved by deeds. God acts in conformity with the determination of our wills. And that is important for us to remember. Love is proved by deeds. So now I want to go to um, an example that Teresa was giving us in um, chapter two, 
of the third dwelling place where she's um, talking about how we need to test ourselves to to find out before God tests us, <laughs> test ourselves to see how well we're doing. And she's talking about, you know, these these souls in the third mansion are they're upright and they're well ordered in their body and in their soul. But yet they get disturbed and afflicted when they get tried in some minor situation. And, and this disturbance, she says, is an imperfection. And she says this is a, a big mistake of, of persons here um, to be so disturbed. And she says God often desires that his chosen ones feel their wretchedness. And he withdraws his favor for a little while. You know, when we see our wretchedness, don't we grow in humility? <laughs> That's a really good thing. And oh, says, absolutely. Sometimes seeing their fault people in the third dwelling place sometimes when they see their fault it distresses them more than the thing that disturbs them so more than the fault is to 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 see the fault to find out they're imperfect so you know that's that's what they're disturbed about not that they need to grow in this area but they've been the lights have been shining and they see how bad they are and that's what disturbs them so that's kind of crazy um but she said this is good for our humility and then she talks to us um about these three examples. First was the rich person without children. That, um, he happens to lose his wealth, um, uh, but not to such an extent that he lacks necessities, all right? Um, but if he should go about as worried and disturbed as he would be if not even a piece of bread were left, well, then <laughs> how can our Lord ask him to leave all for him, right? Um, so, Oh, uh, the person says, Oh, well, I'm, I makes an excuse, but I'm doing it for the Lord. You know, I would give this money to the poor. And, but Teresa says, quote, but I believe that God has a greater desire that such a person conform to the divine will and that through, though this person may try to procure such wealth, he keep his soul at rest rather than worry about charity of such a kind because she says he lacks freedom of spirit. And that is the important thing. And then another example was uh, a person who has plenty to eat and even more than enough and yet wants to acquire more. So never enough, more, more, more. And she says, Absolutely. but if he strives for wealth after possessing it, strives for more and more, she says, then, then you'll have, there's no fear of ascending to the dwelling places closest to the king. In other words, you know, you're, you're so caught up in getting more and more and more, maybe becoming a billionaire, <laughs> that you've lost sight of, of uh, what's most important here. And the third example was um, if there's an opportunity that these persons are now um, despised a little or they lose a little bit of their honor, that, that God often grants them the favor of enduring such a thing because he's He's fond of favoring virtue publicly so that virtue itself will not undergo a loss of esteem. And yet, if these persons lose this sense of honor, you know, they're, they're left in such disquiet. They, they get all upset and, uh, they can't get rid of this disturbance. They're, they've lost their peace. And she's, uh, she's saying that that is a big problem. And of course it is. And she says, through the examples above, you will understand whether or not you are truly stripped of what you have left behind. Test to know whether or not you are rulers of your passions. 
You know, the whole affair doesn't lie in whether or not we wear the religious habit, but in striving to practice the virtues and surrendering our will to God in everything and bringing our life into accordance with what his majesty ordains for it and in desiring that his will, not ours, be done. Humility is the ointment for our wounds. So those three examples of how to test ourselves before the Lord tests us to see if we are the rulers of our feelings, of our passions. Okay, I want to go now to what kinds of prayer are common to the people that are are in this third dwelling place. And of course, we know that they're going to continue with the prayer types from the earlier mansions, like vocal prayer or formula prayer, memorized prayer, uh, liturgical prayer, uh, devotional prayers. Um, they're going to continue with discursive prayer, meditation, maybe Lexio Divina um, or mental prayer. What else? What other kinds of prayer um, happen here? Um, well, a- acquired active recollection. Um and we talked about that earlier, right? We we earlier, yes. about what that is, and, and it's acquired and active because this is what the person can do to quiet themselves, to get the distractions away, right? And to, and to try to absolutely, yeah. What else? And and this one, it's so simple. Everyone can do this. This effective prayer of just simply gazing at our Lord, you know, just being quiet keeping him in our minds and in our, in our, in our sight. Um, just that is the most beautiful <laughs> prayer. And, you know, that reminds me of Teresa saying something like, um, I'm not telling you to talk much, but to love much. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you don't have to go talking in your prayers, um, but being present to him, loving him. That was the most important point, she said. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's important for us to, to stop and analyze, to think about, well, how, how do I pray? How, do I pray the same way today as I did when I was a teenager? You know, how, how has my prayer changed? And if I'm having trouble praying the way I'm praying right now, how can I change that? Maybe we need to change it up somehow. There's so many different ways of praying. And then, of course, what we're trying to help people understand is how our prayer is going to deepen. And therefore, it will change. Like here, we're going to confront this um, aridity and dryness. And why is that a good thing? So, um, yeah, it's it's important to to. Stop and, and ask yourself, how do I pray? I, I just got that question from somebody um, wanting to know, how do I pray? And so I was like, well, how would I describe it? You know, uh, so it, it really is helpful for us to ask ourselves that and maybe ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand. So now let's talk about some of the trials and battles to be fought. Now, uh, again, I recommend Dan Burke's book. Um, the Devil in the Castle by um, with Sophia Press, The Devil in the Castle. He goes into detail about uh, what the devil is doing at each of these mansions. And he kind of lays it out um, really clearly and gives some wonderful suggestions. So I, I encourage those of you who are uh, wanting to dive deeper into that 
to maybe look into to that book or to some of the podcasts he's done on that topic. Um, so let's talk about now um, some of the trials or battles to be fought. Well, the impediment of falling into that presumption of thinking that their lives are exemplary, that they deserve God's favors. You know, we shouldn't ask for favors. This is amounting to, you know, the temptation of pride. So we need to be careful of that. Yeah, the sin of presumption is something that um, people forget about. And uh, grace grabbers get caught up into that, I think. Um, So uh, I think it's important for us to examine ourselves for that. Now, that's different than confidence in God. Presumption is that you've earned it in a sense rather than you've been gifted it um, and that you trust that God is going to take care of everything. Yes. All right. Talk about now this dryness and the aridity in prayer that, that happens here. That's a big battle. Well, it may come from the attachments to things like feelings, you know, when we pray, um, material or spiritual. Um, It'll be due to lack of humility, thinking that with all our efforts, we deserve God's favors. You know, we forget that they're blessings. These these are blessings and and gifts. Um, uh, This dryness in prayer may help us grow in humility, which we definitely need. Um, humility is present when it is present. God will give peace. He'll give conformity to his will. So this dryness of not always receiving, um, favors and consolations that we're struggling to pray sometimes, you know, he's building us up. Um, it may be indicative to a deeper purification, uh, purification by God. He's drawing us closer to him. And uh, this is all good for us. We, you know, just because we can't, uh, we can't feel him as close to us. You know, I think uh, Teresa of Calcutta, my goodness, how many times did she say uh, that she didn't feel or see Jesus? And it's like, oh, my goodness, little nun, you little saint. He was with you through it all. You know, we could see him on her and through her and with her, but she couldn't even see that herself. That and, is dryness. And let and yet she persevered and trusted and was committed to doing for the Lord. And um, yeah, she's a great example for someone who is dealing with aridity or dryness in prayer, where you sense. Uh, you're like, you don't know, you feel like you're wasting your time. You're like, where is God? I don't feel him at all. And so then you think, well, I'm I'm not going to spend half an hour in prayer when it feels like this. But we should. We should be. Exactly. This is a time of purification. And that purification can uh, detach us from those feelings. So we're headed toward meat and potatoes instead of. Yes. You know, <laughs> no cookies. Um, and it can build our our perseverance um, and our fortitude. But it also is a testing ground. Do we really love God enough to be with him in that Garden of Gethsemane when it doesn't feel so good? Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, just like a toddler, 
He's letting go go of our hands, and we're going to have to learn to walk by ourselves, and we may fall, and we may stumble, but we're learning how to get up and go on, how to get up and, and progress, or are we going to be that little baby that sits there and waits for daddy to come and pick us up again? <laughs> Once again, are we going to be a settler or a pioneer? Right. And we we do want God to carry us. And yet he wants our cooperation. We need we need to do our part. Um, And you mentioned falls. So I'm glad you did, because um, Teresa talks about falls. She actually uh, had a fall because of an attachment to relationship. And it it in this mansion, she actually talks about, you know, her shame of, you know, uh, here she is talking about prayer. And yet she feels so unworthy. And she actually says, what can I do if I have lost holiness through my own fault? And her response to that question, and we might ask ourselves that, is, well, I have no other remedy than to approach his mercy and to trust in the merits of his son and of the virgin, his mother. So mercy and trust and then praying. Right. And then um, I found this quote of the servant of God the Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who loved Carmelite spirituality, wore the brown scapular, talked a lot about Carmelites. He had some sage advice about falls because falls can be very beneficial. Falls can actually be a way in which uh, God's glory will shine forth. As long as you don't stay and muddle and, and dwell in your fault, you know, as long as you, I mean, look at St. Paul, St. Mary Magdalene, St. Augustine. They had big falls, and yet the Lord used them to show forth his glory, and they cooperated with him. So um, the Archbishop Fulton Sheen says, quote, our occasional failures must not be mistaken for the desertion of God. Two attitudes are possible in sin. We can fall down and get up, or we can fall down and stay there. The fact of having fallen once should not discourage us because a child falls it does not give up trying to walk as sometimes the mother gives the most attention to the child who falls the most so (laughs) our failures can be used as a prayer that god be most attentive to us because of our greater weakness i really like that quote i was like thank you archbishop fulton sheen for that um and uh you know it, it It also reminds us of the way of the cross. You know, three times Jesus falls, but three times he gets up. And so each of those falls is an opportunity to settle or to go forward. And, you know, he's showing us to get up and move forward. All right. So um, another um, another trial or battle here is, uh, again, the attachments of the the rich young man he he was attached to the comforts of life to security to his self-will and he wasn't it was really hard for him to think about even giving up his possessions and as long as we have anything that holds us back i'm thinking of john the cross he says even if it's a very fine thread that that holds you back you can't go forward until that thread that attachment is cut So it's important for us to um, let go. And it is 
so often we don't even see what our attachments are. So it's good to pray to the Holy Spirit to enlighten us to what our attachments are. And he'll show you. (laughs) You ask, he'll show you. And it's good. I I was just thinking, uh, my mom and I were talking. She's Italian. And uh, they always trimmed grapes during the season, during uh, late February, March. You know, pruning those branches, it's hurtful. You think you're going to go too deep, but grapevines need pruning. (laughs) We need pruning. And then at the end of the season, you know, we'll we'll have those bunches of clusters of grapes, the good fruits. So this is a time, like you said, um, cut off those attachments. Cut, Cut those branches that we don't need, those limbs. Um, and the Lord, good fruits will come from that. And the Lord will will point them out to us, too, because he wants to draw us forward. So the thing is, is that when we become aware, do we turn to the Lord to help us to overcome? All right. To conquer it in us and, and cooperate with him. So I just want to challenge our listeners right now with this question. Like the young man in the gospel, if Jesus were to tell you. If you wish to be perfect, go and now fill in the blank. How would you fill that in? What's holding you back from living fully for God? Maybe it's selfishness with time. Maybe it's a desire for material possessions like the rich young man. Maybe it's uh, time on your cell phone, social media, tablets, computers, games, Internet. Oh, that's a big one in this day and age. Maybe it's a lack of generosity with prayer. Maybe you're very selfish and don't spend it hardly any time in prayer. Um, or maybe uh, you expect the prayer time to be uh, feeling good. And if it doesn't, then you're not going to do it. So, you know, I have to ask yourself. We Teresa always tells us, if you've stopped praying, start again. Because to stop praying is to go backwards. Maybe... We would fill in the blank with um, we're we're too confident in self and that we need to trust God more. Like, yeah, we're the worry ward. We're the complainer. We're not trusting that God's going to take care of the problem. Um, Maybe it's gossiping. Maybe it's complaining or fretting or, um, you know, looking at the plank and somebody else, rather the plank in your own eye. Look at the speck. All all the specks around you, rather the plank in your own eye, right? So well, what you know, uh, and sometimes you know, like we're we're looking at others, and we're seeing, well, why are they so blessed? Why do they have this and that? You know, there are so many times that we receive blessings out of the blue, and we think, oh, thank goodness, thank you, God, thank you, God. You know, and it's better than what we had even imagined. Mm-hmm. What if those blessings that we're looking at others saying, well. Why, why are they getting, maybe that was their blessings, you know, that God gifted them when they weren't expecting it. We need to just stay focused on ourselves, not be so focused on others and what others have, you know. And so many people get caught up in, you know, I'm going to, you know, like, I want to build this church for the Lord. I'm going to start this convent, you know, and, and those are all good things. But you don't have to do those things to be a saint. Look at those who guarded the doors, <laughs> the porters. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of the Curie of ours. He became a very, very holy saint. <laughs> you know, there we have lots of lay saints. You don't have to be a religious to be a saint. 
God is calling yeah. everybody. It's the universal call to holiness. He's calling all of us. We are his children. He's calling all of us to a deeper relationship with him. He is our father. He loves us and he wants us to grow up and become in union with him because then we will be most happy, right? Absolutely. So that leads us to this last section. Um, how does a soul in this mansion go forward? So what would you tell a soul if they want to go forward? You know, they've been on the third mansion, they're a pioneer, and now they, they want to go forward. What do they do? Well, once again, we say self-knowledge. You know, have deep examinations of your conscience. Um, it's very helpful here. You know, look at your own faults. Leave aside other faults, you know, of others. Let's start at home first, our own selves, and and work on our own selves. Make ourselves ready for God to look at us and smile on us. <laughs> and we, we need to grow in the virtue of fear of the Lord, um, not as in afraid of being punished, but as in he is so awesome, so wonderful, so knowledgeable, so, you know, great beyond our understanding that, you know, we have this great reverence for him. So this this fear of the Lord is so important here. And then we, of course, we want to um, grow in humility. What, what would you say about that? Because that's a key factor to go forward, humility. Well, and St. Teresa tells us, it is in regard to humility, I believe that there is an obstacle for those who do not go forward. With humility present, this stage is a most excellent one. If humility is lacking, we will remain here our whole life. And with a thousand afflictions and miseries, you know, she's saying we need to be humble. Um, you know, it, it's not in doing great things for God that's so important, but being grounded in seeing oneself as a useless servant. Remember, all gifts are from God, not of our own. The gifts he gives us are for the use to help others. Right. You know, we're to share our gifts. He came as a servant for us. We need to be servants. And and a useless servant at that. <laughs> because, because of our dependence on God, knowing that all of these things are gifts he gives us. And and so um as we cooperate with him, we become more useful. But uh without him being present and gifting us, we are totally useless. <laughs> exactly. So we we also need to risk being spiritually vulnerable, sensitive, spontaneous. We need we need to take those risks. Uh, and I think a big one here in this third mansion is give up the feeling of being a holy person. Let go of the need to be seen as inspirational, knowledgeable, expect respected. You know that I'm a real spiritual person. You know, take Teresa makes this ironic comment about these souls. She says. They would like everyone to live a life as well ordered as they do. And please, God, they will not think their grief is for the faults of others and in their minds turn it into something meritorious. <laughs> really deceptive there. So <laughs> they put themselves on that pedestal, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and of course, we've talked about looking at our faults and leaving aside those of their, of their neighbors. So detach. Also from 
our hidden thoughts. We, we've got to go to the root sins, not just to the ones that are on the surface. And um, Teresa tells us um, there's no doubt that if a person perseveres in this nakedness and detachment, those are two important qualities, nakedness and detachment from all worldly things, he will reach his goal. But this perseverance includes the condition that you consider yourselves useless servants, right? So Absolutely. We have to guard against being, like you said earlier, that Pharisee uh, instead of the, the public and the Pharisee is prone to judge and compare themselves to others, right? And we want to be the, the public and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? All right. What else would you say? Um, be diligent and be prompt, you know, in obedience, in doing God's will. Um, you know, doing my own will is usually what hurts me. You know, so when you when you feel that prompting, when you feel uh, that Holy Spirit moving in you, go in obedience, you know, follow that. Um it's time now that it's it's pretty helpful to have a spiritual director, you know, get a guide, uh, seek a holy person, spiritual friendships. Um, they will help you in this that way to make sure that you're not stuck, that you're not in your head, that it's not me, 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 I, I, I. But uh, they'll help you, you know, or deceive yourself. Yeah. Sees ourselves because you know we're so caught up in our own self that we we don't see it. So somebody else um, who's already been there, done that, has a lot of a, a experience, uh, can help us to um, see some of the things that we've hidden from our own selves. So that's part of our ego. We got to got to get rid of it. Absolutely. And she says, for in order to know ourselves, it helps a great deal to speak with someone. So she she's leading us to that who already knows the world for what it is. So now you need to have an education, you know, an educated person, uh, not just uh, anyone. So uh, be diligent in that. Um, we're encouraged by seeing in others what we ourselves thought wasn't possible. You know, uh, consult more knowledgeable, holy souls. One self-disclosure helps it fight against its own Self-will, self-sufficiency. Um, we can be deceived by that. Exactly. So we need to we need to talk to someone that knows best and and to make sure we're on the right track. All right. And um we can also we need to remember to guard against near occasions of sin. And Teresa reminds us that we can always fall, so don't think your way is secure, but you do feel more secure as uh you grow in closer to the Lord and get more interior in the mansion and closer to the seventh mansion. Um, there is more security. And yet she always has, there's a possibility at any time that we can fall. So we, we must always guard against that um, because we could turn back to this easier lifestyle and then persevere. Of course, always pray, 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 commit to prayer, focus on God and prayer, not on consolations. And then finally, um, do not be disturbed for God alone suffices because by your falls and your sufferings or sins or evil or trials, God can use these crosses for his glory. So we need to accept our limitations um, uh, 
because, you know, those limitations lead us to a greater reliance on God. So uh, God might want to leave us with a limitation just so that we will come to rely on him more than on ourselves. Uh, you can think of many a saint who who had a, a gruff uh, exterior or the way they approached people was very <laughs> gruff. But, you know, some people say that to St. Padre Pio, that he was a yeah. little hard. <laughs> and yet we know how holy he was. So uh, there might be some aspect that um, God leaves us with uh, for whatever reason. So we've got to remember that. All right. Well, let's. Um, I, w- I want to talk about uh, the next time we have um, a podcast on the interior castle. We'll be talking about the fourth mansion or dwelling place. And this is. Um, the transition from um, the active to the passive prayer. It is, or or natural prayer, what we do, um, to supernatural prayer, what God does more and more in us, um, what our work is to more and more of what God's work is in us, because as we surrender, we allow him to work more in us. This death to self that we're trying to accomplish and then him helping us grow in life in him. So life in God going from this natural prayer, like the vocal, the meditative, discursive prayer to the supernatural prayer, which is infused contemplation and degrees of contemplation or mystical prayer. So from the ascetical, what we can do to the mystical, what God mainly, uh, you know, God is in charge of the mystical part. And um, as we grow in the mansions and in those degrees of prayer, uh, prayer uh, grows more mystical. And then what we give to God at the beginning here, and then more and more what we receive from God, what God gives to us. And then, you know, here at the beginning, you know, this prayer of energy, power, activity, to developing into this prayer of silence, attentiveness, patience and listening so the this is important for us to understand so the fourth mansion is going to be kind of a transition point um and so we're going to be talking a lot about how prayer um may change and so um i hope everybody will tune in on our next podcast on the fourth mansion so now um I just want to go to our, our closing prayer. And again, we've chosen this from John Paul Thomas's book, Interior Journey Toward God. And um, I'd ask Teresa, would you please lead us in this prayer? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My demanding Lord, you call me to obey you always, wholeheartedly. The moment you speak, help me to learn your gentle voice and to become far more attentive to you than to my self-will. May I overcome my self-will and always obey you promptly so that I will be more completely conformed to your will in all things. Indwelling of the most holy trinity, I love you, I trust you, I surrender my life to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you so much, Teresa. I'm so glad you joined me. Uh, We had a lot to talk about. Um, in this mansion, uh, but it helps us to lay this foundation as solidly as we can so that as we get to the more complicated and more unknown mansions that um, we um, have built a, a firm foundation. So uh, thank you, Teresa, uh, for thank joining you, me. 
So glad to have you. And I thank you, listeners. As always, we love hearing from you. And um, you may connect with us at um, KarmaLightConversations.com. I, I thank you again for tuning in and may God bless you and keep you.